Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London, you just never know. This week we come to you from one of my favorite cities on the planet, Chicago, Illinois. We're coming to you from the Waldorf Astoria. Uh, My next guest, I have been honored to be his guest on his show right here at WGN in Chicago. He's the host of the morning show. He's a very cool guy, and he's nice enough to have me on his show. So, of course, I have to return the favor. In fact, I want to return the favor. Steve Cochran, hi, man. Hey, buddy, how are you? I'm just great. You know, I mean, every time I come to Chicago, I love coming to see you because you got the coolest studio in the world because it's right there on Michigan Avenue. And uh, you, you got the best view in the world right there at that, right at that studio. But, but, I mean, how long have you been doing that show? Um, I'm, I, well, you know, I was fired in 2010, so I left. It seemed like the right thing to do at the time. <laughs> and I uh, came back in uh, 2013, and we are the number one talk show in Chicago as long as Oprah never comes back. Perfectly said. I like that. That's good. That's good. But I mean, studio, you love this. The studio you yeah. mentioned is, is, is just, it's really cool. And the Tribune Tower for people that visit Chicago is a must stop at anyway. But the studio is cool. And for all the outdoor TV studios and outdoor indoor studios you've seen out today, so everything else, they all came after WGN. They started that a long time before I was there. But uh, the radio studio on Michigan Avenue was the first of its kind. And TV followed suit. It's a great studio right there on Michigan Avenue. But you mentioned the tower, and I want people to realize that when you go to see the studio, and if you look in the window, you'll see Steve, and he might even wave at you. But if you go up and you look on the walls, on the outside of the building, and even in the lobby, I mean, take your time. They have artifacts and pieces of stone from all over the world, and they explain what they are. I mean, it's right. just you, you never stop looking up because you're always going to learn something. Yeah, and if you can, and they don't do it all the time for security purposes, but they did do tours of the building occasionally. And Colonel McCormick, who started the Tribune and was a, a war hero, has the most amazing office on the 20th floor. I should know. I've snuck up there a couple times. And there is said to be a secret room.
was wink, wink, nod, nod, say no more, because he was uh, a threat to be kidnapped. Others say it was because his girlfriend could be hidden there if his wife ever came to work to surprise him. <laughs> nice. Nice. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this, because I look at you as Mr. Chicago. When people come to Chicago, what's the first thing that they see that it actually surprises them that they're not expecting? Yeah, that's a good question. Everybody wants to go to the Bean, and they want to go to Navy Pier, and they want to go here and there. We have a great museum city, as you know. But there's hidden gems all over the city. And one of the places that I like to take people, because it just blows them away, is on the far south side. It's called Burnham Park. And there's a a little slip of land that, that goes out into Lake Michigan. It's right near the Southside Cultural Center, and it is the best view of the best skyline in the world as far as I'm concerned. You look back at the city and you see the full sweep from the Willis Tower that used to be called the Sears Tower to the Hancock and everything in between with the lake on the right and usually the sun setting on the left over the city. It's very cool. Cool. And then what's the place that you like to go for either breakfast, lunch, or dinner that's not in the brochure, that's not in the guidebook, that may just be out in one of the neighborhoods? You know, there's, there's a million of them, you know, because it's unlike L.A., New York and Chicago, or, you know, there's cities of, of neighborhoods once you get outside of downtown Manhattan. But Chicago is probably the best neighborhood city by far. And, um, you know, I know you were talking about desserts with your previous guests, but there's there's a bunch of really cool dessert places. You know, I'm, I'm one of those can't miss guys for breakfast, lunch or dinner. Um, but there's a place called Sweet Mary Bee's in Lincoln Park which is great for dessert. And if you like pizza, every time somebody comes to town, and you know this, Peter, we've laughed about it, the cliche, easy thing for TV to do, they come to Chicago and they shoot people eating deep dish pizza, right? They go to Philly (laughs) for the convention and they shoot people buying a cheesesteak. But there's a place called Pequod's Pizza. And Pequod's Pizza in DePaul, at DePaul, there's a few of them around town, but the one I usually go to is at DePaul on Clybourne. And I'm telling you, for all the great deep dish pizza in Chicago, there's nothing better. They have to lace the crust with some sort of illegal narcotic because it's unbelievable. (laughs) And there's usually a line. Yeah, you know, you can get it. If you use my name, they'll let you in and they'll charge you the regular price. But um, (laughs) you finish there and maybe you come back downtown. And I know you're a music guy, too. There's a place called the Redhead Piano Bar. With uh, They have several beautiful redheads who sing there, but it's sort of a jazz classic, some pop standards and things. But it's not your typical piano bar. And there's one particular lady who's a friend of mine named Lisa McClowry, with this phenomenal voice who sings all of, you know, she'll go everything from the standards to hits from the 70s and the 80s, uh, all perfect on piano and sort of a dark atmosphere, but with perfectly mixed drinks. And it's a great date place. And, you know, Chicago's a blue city. Not far from there, there's a thing called Blue Chicago. And I'll tell you a quick story. I was there with a beautiful woman about 20 years ago, and she was not from Chicago. And she came out of the ladies' room, and she looked like a ghost. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, we have to go. And I said, what happened? And she said, a woman in there tried to sell me a gun. <laughs> and, and I said, well, well, who is she? And I, I, she turned around, and she goes, she's the bass player in the band. <laughs> <laughs> My kind of place. <laughs> and again, that's blue Chicago, not blues, blue Chicago. No kidding. And where is that woman today? Don't ask. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Buying weapons with someone else. Of course, and she's going city to city doing it. Um, hey, you know, what I was going to ask you, have you ever, have you, ever you know, I know you're in and out quickly a lot of times, but you, you know about the Pedway, right, the underground walking um part of the city it's like 40 blocks of underground tunnels underneath chicago yeah i do um you know when i first came here of course my idea was underground was underground michigan avenue over like where billy goats is but you're talking about something right. else yeah the pedway if you think of and there's a few cities that do the above ground thing with minneapolis you know they have the the, the ant trails um because you know who's going to go outside even though i lived in minneapolis for five years and i'm just getting warm now Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. 
as I do everywhere I travel, I always like to ask the locals, and we have a very special local to ask today. She's basically one of my colleagues at CBS News, but she's a legend at CBS News. She's the correspondent for 48 Hours, Maureen Maher. Hello, Maureen. And, a, and, and, a, and someone who actually lives in Chicago. I do. I choose to live in Chicago. When you're not at the airport covering every murder in the world. That's true. Right? Yes. And I try not to do those in Chicago so that when I'm here, I can <laughs> enjoy has living a, here. Chicago has, a, has enough share of that. That's right. And other people to cover those stories. So I get to be a civilian here and enjoy the city completely. Well, let's talk about what I call America's best underrated city. Uh, and America's biggest underrated city, for that matter. And it's a place where I used to come just about every weekend when I was going to school at the University of Wisconsin because I came down here for culture. Not deep dish pizza, but culture. But where do you hang out? I, I, that's not in the brochures, that's not in the guidebooks, and why? Uh, if you, I happen to live uptown not, south of Wrigley. and send, So you walk to the games. I can walk to the I can make a last-minute decision to walk to the game. Now, the good part about where I live is that I'm close enough to do that, but I'm far enough away from the riffraff if there's been some over-celebrating. It doesn't- And that never happens in that Chicago. That never happens with the Cubs. Right. <laughs> so- is it, Could this be the year? I'm not gonna say, I don't wanna jinx it. I don't wanna jinx it. I think every year could be the year, but you know, you want them to be you good see, the I, second half, not the first half. But my problem is, you know, you have the Detroit Tigers, and you have, you know, the, and you have the Chicago Cubs. No, you can't say that to me because I'm from Detroit. Well, no, I like the Originally, Detroit Tigers. I know. So at my house, there's a big fight when it's Tigers versus the White Sox. Once in a while, they'll play the Cubs or the Blackhawks versus the Wings. It's, there's no compromise in our house. You win. Sort of. Sort of. Okay, fine. Okay. So, okay, so you're far enough from the riffraff, and then where do you go? All right, so if I'm out with my husband... We like to go to a couple of different places. There's a French place that's called Mon Ami Gabi, and it's right on Lincoln Park on the north side. It's across from the zoo, and it's a wonderful place for steak frites. They make a fabulous martini. You can sit outside. My favorite time to go is in the evening around 5 or 6 o'clock during the summer because you get the breeze coming in off the lake. It's just beautiful. So that's one of my favorite places to go with him. Uh, and, an and, and what do you eat there? Oh, I'm a steak frites person. Okay, got it. And the escargot was very good. And if you have your own wine, you can bring your own wine as well. But okay. they have a very nice list. Uh, another place is called the Webster Wine Bar, which is in Logan Square. It used to be on Webster. Now <laughs> it's in Logan Square. And what's nice about that is it's right off the blue line, the L. And it's a great little place. They have bottles of wine that are $18 to $280. Well, let's talk about the L for a second, because when the original Richard Daly was mayor of this town, mm -hmm. the L didn't travel as far as I wanted it to travel, because he was like in cahoots with the bus company, and you couldn't get out to O'Hare. It only went so far. That's right. They finally got the train going out to the airport. Thank goodness. Both airports. Yeah. Mid now you midway can, end, yeah. Midway. So it used to be when I was in college 150 years ago, you could not get down to Midway. Right. So you could buy a Southwest ticket for $18, but it cost you 50 to get there in a cab. Same thing with O'Hare. Right. So now you can go. In fact, I pretty much only use the L to get out to O'Hare at this point. So, and it works. And it does work. Um, if I have the kids with me, that's a good thing I have to mention in case any of your listeners have kids. And uh, they do. You have to have a Chicago hot dog. There are two places that we go to. We go to the Gold Coast Dogs. But the other one is if you're up in Evanston near Northwestern, Mustard's Last Stand. And that is... <laughs> what a great name for a restaurant. Mustard's Last Stand. And it's, <laughs> it's a classic Chicago dog, but the place is about two feet wide, really tiny, same guy, same family's been running it forever. So if you're up at Northwestern, you're visiting at Evanston, make your way over to Mustard's Last Stand. Okay, I have to ask the obvious question. What do you put on it? Uh, you have Sauerkraut? To, uh, no, 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 no. You have the... Good. <laughs> you, no, you don't put the sauerkraut. That's a, that's a Detroit thing. Yeah, oh, I know. You want to put the sauerkraut and you want to put the chili. It's also a New York thing. And a New York thing. No, you have to go with uh, the peppers and the chopped up tomatoes and you get a little bit of the pickle relish and you get the onions and mustard. There's not supposed to be any ketchup. And somewhere in there there's a dog. Yeah, underneath it all. Okay, fine. Just Vienna beef. Yeah. Um, so the other place for kids, and this is if you're coming to the city during the summer, every Wednesday and Saturday, Navy Pier does fireworks. It's crazy. It's really hard to get onto the pier, and it can be a little pricey. The place to see the fireworks is to go to the Shedd Aquarium. If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. 
Joining me now is someone who knows a little bit about the history and a little bit about this particular building. He's uh, one of the architects of the Waldorf Astoria, Lucien Lagrange. Did I get it right? Come on, I did it. Yes, thank I, you. See, yeah. I practiced. Um, Chicago is one of those great cities where you can walk and you just look around and you see evidence after evidence of great architecture. Yes, that is true. Um, and I have a nice little story. I did several buildings, or many buildings in Chicago, the same style, and I was at a party once, and a lady comes to me and says, you know, Lucien, I take my walk every day, and I always make sure I drive by the Elysian, because when I walk by, it makes me feel good. And the Elysian is what this building was before it was called the Waldorf. Correct, it was yes. called the Elysian. Yes. And I work with a great young man, a very young man, who never done a building before, David Pizer. And he had a vision, and I think his vision first was the service of a hotel, like a grand hotel in, in Europe, and the, you know, Plaza Athenae, you know, the kind of service you get. He wanted to bring that in Chicago because it doesn't exist anywhere in the state. And that's where we met. We started to talk about service at length, and we spent an hour and a half, two hours just talking about what it should be. We never talk about architecture. <laughs> and when he walked out, I said, well, well, wait a minute. Am I going to be selected to be the architect? Well, of course, and he walked away. And that's how it started. You know? So we'd create an architecture. Around the concept. Around the concept. That, but that's what we started to talk about. And how do you do a building that brings this kind of elegance and quality that you find in Europe? And that's a vision he had. And embraced that vision because it's certainly why that's what I want to do and do it in Chicago because there are history of great buildings like on Lakeshore Drive, you know, from 1900 to 1930. And that was to, for us to repeat, recreate this elegance that uh, did disappear in architecture with the modern movement. So now you knew what you wanted to do. Now the question is, how did you do it? With a pencil. <laughs> I know that. But what was the first thing you attacked? And what was the first thing you addressed and said, we have to have this? But I think the, the courtyard was the first concept to create. And in fact, he, David bought more land to create the concept of a courtyard because it gives you a sense of arrival. The whole concept that you come from the street, the public space, and you enter a courtyard, this is more private. It's semi-private, I would say, because when you enter that space, you're overwhelmed. You have to be overwhelmed by the architecture, the finishes, the scale. And then you have the entry to the hotel, opening to the courtyard, with all the staff waiting for you, recognize you by name. So you have a sense of elegance. You know, and you've been recognized, you become somebody very important, just the fact you arrive. You know, you're walking, you're now not walking from the sidewalk into a lobby and then take an elevator to, to check in. No, you walk in, you're welcome, you check in right away on the right-hand side and you take the elevator without going through some transfer elevator. So there's a sense of arrival. That's really what you want to, want to create. Well, you know, if you, if you look at the hotel as theater, that's your first act. It is. It is. It's, you know, when you come from another city, another country, you arrive, you want to be welcomed. The, the building has to welcome you, embrace you, open its arms to you. And that's why what was the most important to do is this sense of entry. You have arrived, you know, and people are greeting you. And you're not in the public space. You're still outside. But, you know, you know that what's going to happen, the ceremony of entering, coming, being welcomed, going to your room, you know, it's, a, it's a journey, it's a trip. Well, it's also anticipation. It's an anticipation of elegance or how you're going to be treated as a guest. All right, so now I'm going to tell you what I look for in a hotel, and you tell me if I make any sense. You spend more waking hours in your hotel bathroom than you spend in any other room at the hotels. And, and in my estimation, if the hotel bathroom works, chances are the rest of the hotel is going to be phenomenal. And I want you to think about that. We're going to take a break in a second, but, but I want you to think about that. And the second thing I want to talk to you when we get back is the concept of light. Um, I'm not talking about natural light. I'm talking about the light fixtures in the room because so many architects and designers want to just give you mood lighting. Riding along in my automobile My baby beside me at the wheel Cruising and playing the radio with no particular place to go. 
We've been talking to Lucien Lagrange, the architect of the Waldorf Astoria. And when we last left off, I posed two questions to you. One, about the time you spend in individual rooms, and it's my argument that you spend more time in your hotel bathroom, your waking time at least, than other hotel rooms. And if the, if the bathroom works, the rest of the hotel works. And I'm a big fan, and this gets not into just the design, but the mechanics of it, of great water pressure. You gotta have great water pressure. And, and then, lighting in the room. Every woman traveler always tells me that their complaint is there's not enough light in the bathroom for them to do their makeup, or, let's be honest, there's not enough counter space for all the stuff they carry with them that search and rescue teams have yet to be able to discover. But, right? So that's you, correct. So you, you had that challenge. Yes. Well, you, well, the best really is to provide two counter, one for the man and one for the woman, because the woman takes over all the space <laughs> she, can, she can find. So, but if you cannot do that, uh, you, you have to provide a pretty large counter, at least six feet, and you know, the woman's gonna take over the bathroom. Men are, they share in their town. Um, yeah, basically, you go in and get out. Yeah, <laughs> men just take a shower to get out. You know, we don't take that much time to put our makeup on. <laughs> uh, but lighting is critical. But lighting, you know, there's three kinds of lighting when you do a hotel room or anything. What we're talking about, the bathroom, you need two kinds of lighting. You need kind of a mood lighting, not a very soft and nice. But then you'll see you need an accent lighting that when you shave, you put makeup, you have to, be, you have, to have strong lighting on your face. So you have to have two kinds of lighting and that you can control. And then, and then there's a lighting which is also in the room as an accent. You can accent certain points, but you need a certain level of lighting. No, that can, so you can see around the room, and you can accent the painting on the wall or some objects, you know. So, and you have to control those. But you need three sorts of lighting to have a well-lit room. I agree. I, I actually believe that for most architects and designers, present company excluded, they should be forced to spend three nights in the room they designed before they get paid for their work because they're, they're operating by the, from the pressure of the owner and not the pressure of what the customer really wants. I, there's a hotel in London that I stayed at recently, and they have a sense of humor, but they actually did something very interesting that I think you'll appreciate. They had a light switch by the bed, yeah. and it had four buttons, bright, medium, yes. low, and ooh. Yes. <laughs> and you know what? It got your attention, and you, you had choices, because the true definition of luxury travel is when you get to keep your options. Yes. You want to have options. Well, let me add one thing to that. Hotel rooms are usually designed by men. And it seems my men don't understand the needs of women. And I ask the question very often, why do you put a ledge in a shower to can sit on? And men don't, un don't know why. Do you know? Answer the question. Because women shave their leg and they put their foot on that ledge. That's the only reason you need that. But a lot of men at design room, they don't understand that. You know, that's so did you put it in? Yes, I put it in. Every, one, every bathroom I do, I put one in the shower because it's a necessity. Uh, so men don't really understand women using the bathroom or even the hotel room. You know. Okay, what's the big mistake that men designers make in the room itself? Closet space. <laughs> you know, they don't understand when the women enter the room they throw their clothes all over the place. <laughs> you know, it's on the floor, it's on the bed, it's in the washroom, you know, they don't pay attention to and somebody else, is, and they're tired the same way. Maybe I'm special, but I hang my clothes. <laughs> I don't throw them on the floor. A woman doesn't, so you know, you have to pay attention to that. And if you could do a walk-in closet so they can throw the clothes there, and then the, the, the room would be clean. But nobody, you know, you put a tiny little closet because that's all you need. Uh, okay, now I have one more issue. Here's my other issue. Everybody wants to put beautiful marble on the floor of the bathroom. That's what you're going to slip on and kill yourself. Yes. Why do you keep doing that? Not you, but designers. Because people think that that's luxury. marble is luxury. Yeah. To me, luxury. It's called luxury lawsuit. Luxury would be a wood floor. That's what I was thinking. And there's no problem because you can you know, protect the wood from the water. It's very easy. But I think if a wood floor is rich, in, that, you know, in my house, in my bathroom, I have a wood floor. 
20 years, and it's okay. Well, here's what I've learned staying at hotels all my life. When I come out of the shower, I consciously lean forward because I've just put soap on my body. There's soap on my feet. If I step on that marble floor and I don't lean over because of center of gravity, gonna fall. I'm going to kill myself. No, if it were, there should be a rug, there should be something on a floor, a wood floor. A wood yeah. floor would be better. I know. I, I, okay, so when's the wood floor going in? When are you going to do the next wood floor? Well, everybody's going to tell you it's not going to last, which is not true. <laughs> okay, the next time you do the hotel, I want a wood floor in the bathroom. Okay. You promise? I promise. Okay. <laughs> and the walk-in closet. Hello? Uh, this is your captain speaking. There is absolutely no cause for alarm. I always like to ask the locals everything, so of course I had to ask Nina Hahn to come in because you're a local. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Excited. You're a Chicago girl. Yes, born and raised. All right. <laughs> All right. And you write for everybody. You write for Chicago Magazine. You write for Condé Traveler, right? That's correct. So I have to ask a couple of questions that go beyond the guidebooks, that go beyond the brochures. Mm -hmm. uh, when people come to visit you, right, first of all, they're probably coming during the summer. Yes. They're not coming in February. Yes. Okay, we got that part down, mm -hmm. all right? And, of course, all the, all the jokes about two seasons in Chicago, winter and construction, we know. But where do you take them that blows their mind, that may not be in the brochures or the guidebooks? Well, there's a place that when family comes to town where they love to go, it's called Freddy's Pizza, and it's in Cicero, and it's off of Austin, and we've been going there since we were kids. It's totally divey. It's where all the Italians go. Is and this deep dish? Not deep dish. It's thin slice? It's, yep, like oh, New York style. Okay, I'm yes, in. I'm yes. in. I'm totally in. Okay. Italian ice, raviolis, fish salads, like it's, it's great. Now, you've got kids. Yes. So you take the kids, right? Yes. And, and, and you take them on road trips around Chicago. Yes, we do, we do a lot of that. See, I love, I, I love things that like I call one-tank trips, mm -hmm. right? Where you can go on a tank of gas and still be back the same day. Right. And, and the kids are still talking to you. That's right, right. <laughs> <laughs> right? So where do you like to go? Well, we just actually went last weekend to Milwaukee. Milwaukee is such a cool place. Yes. I have to tell you something. I look at Milwaukee as the third secret airport of Chicago. Because if, if you look in the parking lot at Mitchell Field in Milwaukee, one-third of the plates are Illinois plates because they know. I believe it. And I'll tell you a secret, right? At the airport in Milwaukee, I will actually go to Milwaukee at least once a year when I'm not planning on going to Milwaukee. I will give myself a five-hour layover in Milwaukee at the airport because they have a bookstore at that airport called wow. Renaissance Books. Okay. It's a rare and used bookstore. Wow. And it's an independent. The airport's trying to throw them out all the time, but they're great. And, wow. you, and I go in there, and I will spend at least an hour and a half, and I buy so many books. And here's yeah. the cool thing. Because they're an independent, they will ship it to me to New York. Oh, wow. You pay no state sales tax. You're paying $5 for UPS. You're done. That's super cool. And what a great way to stop at an airport, mm -hmm. right? But yes. you went to Milwaukee, which is so good because it's also on the lake. Yes. Right? Well, they have, if you've been there, the Third Ward District is a oh, really the, cool area. They just opened up a new hotel there. Yes. Uh, the, the, the Kimpton guys. Kimpton Journeyman. It's that, awesome. It's, I stayed there. What a cool hotel. Right. With the rooftop, it's excellent. And wow. the chef that came from Chicago, Chef Heather Terhun, is the one that's running the restaurant. And the, See, the secret's out already. Mm -hmm. My God. But it, isn't it cool because you walk, you literally walk out the front door, you turn left, and you're in the Third Ward, and yep. it's right there. Yes. And the museums on the lakefront, if you're bringing the kids, they have that Discovery World. They have yeah. a beautiful art museum. We did it all in a day, and we came back. And it was no stress. Super easy. So about an hour and a half there? Mm-hmm. Hour and a half back. Yep. That's easy. It was great. I mean, we spent the night, but we came back the next day, no problem. Okay, so that's a day trip to Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. What about a day trip around Chicago, though? Who? Who's it for? It's for me. It's for you. Yeah. Well, I would. my favorite, favorite place in the city is the West Loop, Fulton Market. I think like the greatest concentration, this might be anecdotal, but the greatest concentration of award-winning chefs is right there on Randolph Street. And Ocheval for the burgers. I mean, the food here is amazing. Keep going. So Ocheval, I would go to Duck Duck Goat for um, the Chinese food. <laughs> As opposed to Duck Duck Goose. Yes, okay. if, you've, if you've heard of Stephanie... Stephanie Izards, um, uh, the she's another James Beard chef. But anyway, she had Little Goat and Duck Duck, and she had the Girl and the Goat. And Duck Duck Goat is her new concept. It's like cool Chinatown looking place. There's Momotaro, 
And Momotaro's is awesome Japanese restaurant. It's usually super expensive. You're going to throw down a lot of money. But if you go during happy hour, which is kind of a new thing that's legal here in Chicago as of the last year, you spend 23 bucks. You get a three-course meal. You get, um, I think it's a soshu shot and a tiger beer. Okay, now, I'm a pescatarian, so I'll, okay. do, I'll do fish and veggies, and I'll steal your macaroni and cheese when nobody's looking, okay? Okay, okay. So where do I go? Hmm. I love the kitchen on the river. It's um, Kimball Musk, Elon Musk's brother, opened. If you've heard of these kitchen restaurants, they started out in Colorado. It's beautiful. The ambiance in the room is tall ceilings, white, with views of the river. And they have, I love shellfish. Me too. And they have tons of awesome oysters and crab legs and lobster. That's so, Nina, you're, you're eating a lot, aren't you? <laughs> yes, I like to eat. <laughs> <laughs> I do. And what's the biggest, look, you're from here, so sometimes you may be too close to see it, but what's the biggest surprise for, of the city for you, the biggest surprise? I think the hotels, the, that they're actually these really cool vertical resorts that have an entire standalone experience inside. Like, the best example might be the Chicago Athletic Association. Do you know about this building? I've been there. Okay. It's, it's an older building. Yeah, it's, so it was closed to the public since 1893. It was a private men's health club. Isn't there a restaurant in there too? Yes. What's it called? Uh, the Cherry Circle Club. Exactly. Or yeah. it might be the Cherry Circle Room. It's That's awesome. It, yeah, Best yeah. French onion soup ever. I'm going to keep throwing food in. I can't okay. help it. I know. Keep going. <laughs> you just go. But they have, William Wrigley was a member when it was the men's club, that Johnny Weissbluth, I think the original Tarzan. Johnny Weissmuller. Weissmuller. He was a, he was a member as well. Yeah. Um, so there's awesome history. I first toured the hotel like way back before it was open, and we actually were finding bylaws. So there was there's so many cool things in that hotel. Yeah, bylaws that were ignored then and bylaws yes, that are ignored now. Yes, true. <laughs> but that Cherry Circle Club room is where the um, members would bring their girlfriends. So there's no windows, and there's lots of stories in that room. It's Ooh, kind of, yeah. I like that. Yeah. yeah. And the, the rooftop, the views over Millennium Park, it doesn't matter if it's winter or summer or spring. They're amazing. It's Do they open the like roof a, in the winter, too? Yeah. They're, well, they have a glass ah, room, okay. so it's beautiful. Okay. And they, now, do you go to the you go to the sports games? You go to the clubs? You go to a Cubs game? Oh, of course. Okay. Cubs fan always. All right. Will this year be the year? I I think I said that last year. Actually, oh. I think I wrote about uh, that last look, year. <laughs> how many years have you lived in Chicago? For my, I yeah. mostly for my whole okay. life. They say that every year. Yeah. 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 I know. So we have the flag with the W, so we don't have to keep saying it. Is that it, really? Right. No, I don't know, but that's what I think. <laughs> Amazing. Well, you know what? Maybe the look. Even though they're called the Cubs, you know, mm -hmm. it's not the most exciting name. Right. Right. It doesn't. It, it doesn't really denote strength. No. No. But maybe this year. Yes. Wouldn't it be great. I, I think. It, I mean, we're getting there. If it's not this year, it will definitely be next year. But they should never tear down Wrigley. Ever, no. Ever. No. There's nothing that compares. It's an amazing experience to go there. We have clearance, Clarence. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? Now our radio clearance over. That's Clarence over. Over. Roger. Huh? Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. My next guest has a few other words he's uh, upset about. Tom O'Gorman, <laughs> Chicago journalist. Welcome, sir. Hi, how are you? What's your favorite word? Well, what I'm on at the moment is, of course, awesome, <laughs> because it is currently being used by Americans to describe everything. And um, in a recent column that I did in uh, Skyline, I, I did a little research on it. I thought, well, I've got to know something more than I simply dislike the way people use it, because it varies so often. It can mean anything. And I realized that it, um, it, 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 for instance, it, it, I rarely hear it used in, in the African-American community because it's not very hip. And it's certainly not used in the professional community because it has absolutely no precision to describe something. So anyway, I'm sort of championing the uh, extinguishing of it. I did go back and look. I was reading uh, The Sun Also Rises this summer. I reread it every couple of years. So I went back and I looked through Hemingway. I mean, that was written by that awesome guy, Ernest Hemingway. Wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> 90 years ago in a cafe. Was in, it really 90 years ago? 90 years ago. Oh, my God. And it was written, this is what I love, travel. Uh, 
in pencil on foolscap, sitting in uh, La Croiserie de Lila in Paris, the cafe. He wrote it there every day. I mean, is it life or what? Well, I'll give you one. I'll, I'll, I'm not going to one-up you, but I'll give you one. There's a book, everybody knows Mark Twain. Here's a book they don't know that he wrote that is as valid today as when he wrote it, and the name of the book is Innocence Abroad. Oh, of course, You yeah. need to go read this book. And the funniest thing, here we are, we're broadcasting from a hotel. His complaints about hotels back in the 1800s are the same that we have today. It was all about nickel and diming. Of course. Except in those days, they would charge you extra for a bar of soap or a candle. <laughs> today, it's the mini bar. Of course. But, but isn't that wild? Yeah, yeah so. it is, truly. It's interesting. I was... Um, I loved seeing Lucien Legrand here, and I almost didn't recognize him. I haven't seen him in a couple of years. We used to, we dine at the same French restaurant all the time, and we see each other. And, and he, he is truly a great man. And, and um, it just reminded me so much that Chicago is America's architectural, you know, heaven. It, it is truly a city forged by great architects and. And I think we owe it all, of course, to the fire. I mean, we didn't have that horrible fire back in 1871. You know, the paint factory would still be next door to the school. So uh, uh, it was wonderful to see a living, breathing, great American architect. And the thing about Chicago, and I've, I've said this throughout the show, I, I look at it as America's greatest, best, underrated city. Uh, most of my friends think they've been to Chicago because they changed planes at O'Hare. Sure. And it doesn't really qualify. Yeah. It, it's amazing. I was thinking that... Uh, Chicago, because the first city burned for all practical purposes, then there was the second city that developed above it, rose above it. Yeah. But colloquially, people think that the, we are the second city because we're like second to New York. And there's been this sort of like um, this, this strange condition in people that, oh, we're not second class, you know? Well, there's nothing to do with that. It was the second city rising on the first, giving us, of course, a much more modern an effective metropolis. I mean, sure. It's just incredible. And um, uh, I, I was thinking that in, in when the World's Columbia Exhibition was here in 1893, it really celebrated the fact that Chicago was still, you know, had, had grown leaps and bounds in 25 years practically. And when the fair opened, there were there were two places that people went outside the fair. They all had to go leave the south side and come downtown. And one of them was the um, uh, the uh, hotel on the corner of Congress and Michigan Avenue, now Roosevelt University, but it was the tallest building in America. It, was, it had an 18-story tower, and in the building, Louis Sullivan, the architect, and Dankmar Adler, the engineer that forged this relationship to make this thing happen. Uh, that was one of the most visited sites uh, of the fair. It was an amazing thing. And I, I want to just say this for a moment because I don't want to forget it, but we, we, we have four stars on our flag. The fire, the, um, no, the Fort Dearborn Massacre, the, the fire, the 1893 fair, the 1933 fair, the Century of Progress. But um, the... Um, the um, maybe a senior moment here, but the the the, the star that commemorates the um, the fair really. Um, I don't know where I was going with this. Well, let me help you out. Yeah, you've been in Chicago a long time. You go back to days at City Hall. Oh sure. You've seen everything change. I spent twenty years at City Hall. I know. I mean, I go back to you know Ricardo's. Oh, of course. You, you know Ricardo's. And when I wasn't at Ricardo's, I was at Billy Goat's because our office was on Michigan Avenue when I worked for Newsweek in the Bob Newhart office, you know, of course, remember yeah. the 430 North Michigan. And uh, even though Ricardo's is gone and Mr. Kelly's is gone, Billy Goat's is still there. But I mean, not as much as change as people would think, which is, which is a good thing. I, I think there's certain characteristics of life in Chicago that will always remain the same. And, and I think those hit, you know, whether it's, whether it's the fact that people eat out a lot, that, that it's still a beef-driven town. It's, you know, <laughs> now, there's a, there's a branding motto. Well, it, Come it, on it, to Chicago. We're a beef-driven town. Well, we were, we, we, the meat packers of, of Chicago changed the way America ate 
Americans didn't eat meat every day of the week, and they certainly didn't have big steaks on their plate in most places because butchering was done in your village, your town. Right. Your butcher killed a steer and did all this. And now the armors and the swifts and everybody else is doing it by the millions on the south side. And um, really altered the way not only America, but then how the rest of the world ate. And there was, um, interestingly enough though, those great fortunes are really one of the reasons why all this continues, including things like the the Art Institute of Chicago, you know, the, the foundations of all these great organizations in the city are really still driven by the fortunes of that. I did remember what I was trying to say, and that was simply this, that in 1893, 27 million people came to Chicago to visit over a six-month period to see the, world, the, century, the World's Columbian Exposition. And it was really the first time that Americans met each other because we were very segmented across the country, the South, the North, the East, the West. So Chicago brought people together. People did not know this. And because we were the railroad capital of America, you could get on a train wherever you were from and all come to Chicago and Southerners meet um, New Englanders and New Englanders meet people from the West. It was, a, it was a great moment. And I think more than anything else, to me, that summarizes the, the, the true uh, rationale about Chicago and why it was successful, you know? And of course the bottom line is all those buildings, right? Most of them anyway, are still around. You mean the the, the, the fair? No, not the fair. I'm talking about the buildings of the turn of the last oh, century. Oh, absolutely. They're no, all, all around. Of, yes, no, it's, it's the coin of the realm. I right. mean, it's the... Including the, the Chicago Art Institute. There you go, keep that going. This is flight 372 on SWA. The flight attendant's on board serving you today. Teresa in the middle, David in the back. My name is David and I'm here to tell you that. Shortly after takeoff, first things first, there's soft drinks and coffee to quench your thirst. But if you want another kind of drink, then just holler. Alcoholic beverages will be $4. If a monster energy drink is your plan, that'll be $3. And you get the whole can. We won't take your cash. What I realized from a very early age was that Chicago was truly America's best, greatest underrated city on so many different levels. Uh, not just food, because I'm a, I'm a thin slice pizza guy, not a, not a, a deep dish pizza guy, but, but on, on art and culture and museums. And one of the museums, one, and I call it a museum, uh, it's probably not fair to do it, but I do. Um, it's been around for 137 years. Um, is, and we're not talking about, you know, the, the, the ones that you know about. This is the Art Institute of Chicago. And talk about a cool place to go and to hang out. And joining me now from that Art Institute is a good buddy of mine, Nora Gaynor. When I say it's a museum, you, you made a little bit of a face, but it really is. Absolutely. Um, actually, it's the number one museum. So in the future, maybe it could just be the number one museum. <laughs> Which we were, we were ranked by TripAdvisor um, in 2014 as the number one museum in the world. And the only problem I have with the museum is I think some people... Um, think that's boring or think stayed. Think it's boring or stayed or... No, you guys are, the thing about you guys, it's, it, I won't say it's quirky, but you guys have fun with it. Completely. Yeah. Completely. It's an experience. And, and that's my job is to make people feel that when they come to Chicago... Um, they haven't done Chicago until they've come to the Art Institute because it's not, it's art, it's food, it's shopping, it's architecture, it's history. I mean, it's a part of, of Chicago since the Columbia World Exhibition, um, the original building was built during that time. Um, and then modern architecture up till 2009 when the Modern Wing opened, which was designed by Renzo Piano, same guy who did Pompidou and several other projects. So here we are in the middle of August. What am I going to see if I go in there right this minute? Oh, we have such great summer shows going on. Um, actually, Michelle Obama was with us this weekend visiting with her girlfriend. Name dropper. Name dropper. Um, enjoying uh, one, one that we have is called Invisible Man. Um, and it is the work of Gordon Parks, the photographer, sure. and the author Ralph Ellison. And this is a fantastic photography show that, yes, it has photography. It has 50 works that have never been seen um, that talk about two collaborations that these two um, authors and artists, um, and Gordon Parks, of course, was the first African-American photographer for Life magazine. It's probably most well-known for that. And then Ralph Ellison 
author of the seminal um, book, Invisible Man, that came out in 52. So this is about two projects that they had worked on together um, in the 40s and 50s that actually never came to fruition. So somebody figured this out, curated it, and mounted it. And found and did incredible research. Um, our curator, Michal Rosruso, um, uncovered things from the Library of Congress and really did a lot of research that brought together this incredible show. And a lot of things you have there, I, I, at least in my experience, are also interactive. Absolutely. So, so inclusive, digital, um, my, my most favorite thing, and I, I brought you some um, show and tell here, Peter's little time hopping journey. We have a new thing, um, two new things. One is the journey maker. And so basically, these are these large scale tablets that the young and the young at heart can come in. Why are you looking at me when you say young, young at, at heart? heart? Well, thanks just, a lot. Can come in and and create their own view of the museum. So you you pick a theme: um, time traveler, superhero, um, midnight at the museum, and then it gives you two hundred and six thousand different options, and you create your own journey, and then it prints out this beautiful. It's an actual Japanese origami paper pattern that luckily they help you fold. And then you go out and explore, and it's your way, your journey to, to do it with your family. So you basically tailor make your own experience at the, at, at the Institute? Well, it, it can be. I mean, we're a million square feet. So sometimes people walk in there and they just, they they're, go, they're overwhelmed. Museum fatigue. You know, it's, I have to have a cappuccino before I can even breathe. And so, and I think it, it's so interesting because when you walk into a restaurant, you don't sit down and look at the menu and say, I'll have one of everything. Whereas so many people walk through a museum and think, I just got to see it. I got to go. And but, I that's, but that's not the way to do it. Not at all. And what, what this journey maker enables you to do is pick and choose things and then really kind of dig a little bit deeper. See, my rule of thumb when I travel anywhere is I will allow myself to see one museum per trip, mm -hmm. not seven museums. I can't deal with it. it it's, it's complete over, overkill. Well, and, and that's what I think that we are, um, we are launching a super exciting, and I hate to say the word because like museum, it can make you yawn, but app. Um, but it's, I'm yawning. And it's okay. absolutely, it's similar to Journeymaker in that you put your headphones in, you press a button and it's the must-see tour, it's the city architecture tour, it's um, whatever summer exhibition we have going on. We, um, we have one of the tours in America after the fall that I'll talk about. Now, you're open seven days a week? Seven days a week, 362 days a year. And nighttime programs too? Absolutely. Okay, admission is? 25 for adults, 19 for seniors and students, $5 less That, that means young at heart. Young at or heart is 19, okay. but Chicagoans get discounts, Illinois residents get discounts. Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. Joining us now, Patrick Lacassan, the director of Food Thank and Beverage. You. So you heard my introduction. So what are you doing differently here? So what we're doing is very simple. We do have a concept and a partnership with uh, Clico, and we. Oh, it's all about the drinking. It's all about the drinking and the champagne, definitely. So our chef, uh, Nicolas, is uh, developing a menu based on, you know, a pairing with some champagne. And we do... Uh, definitely have a seasonal, let's say, a monthly menu that we are developing according to the seasons. So if you just wanted to come in here and let's say have some Vivlico Rosé, you, you would be, you'd be happy to do it that. It is the right place. It yes, is. <laughs> definitely. I'm a Rosé fan. It's, 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 uh, but most Americans don't really understand champagne. Mm -hmm. They don't understand the, uh, the evolution of it. They don't understand the genesis of it. They don't understand... Uh, family-owned uh, champagne houses. Uh, they, they know brands, right? Right. But why did you do this partnership? So, first by the name, Veuve is a very famous champagne. Uh, um, Veuve Clicquot is um, created in the Champagne area of France, of course, and, and it's uh, one of the first brands, actually, on the market in the USA. Uh, they definitely, you know, work a lot to develop the brand 
all over USA, and they proposed to us to get this partnership together. So we do have the restaurant, and as well, you know, we do a lot of events with them. Like last Friday on the 29th, we did the Veflico journey when they came here and decor all our hotel and restaurants, and we had like some great deals with them in terms of pricing for everybody to come and enjoy, you know, rosé champagne and sure. regular brew. Well, that's a champagne promotion. I got that yeah. part. But I'm one of those guys who's a sucker for branding in some cases. Mm -hmm. I love their packaging. Right. I mean, I have a beautiful sh uh, champagne ice bucket that, that I got from mm -hmm. Bublico that's orange. True. Right. Oh, the best. Right? I mean, I don't care what's in it. I just like the, I like the bucket, you know. Sometimes I put ginger ale in. I'm sorry. But, but the bottom okay. line. Okay, it's good. But do you educate your guests at all about, about the history of the champagne? We sometimes do, you know, when guests are definitely asking questions about, you know, where does the champagne come from, and what's the difference between a sparkling wine and a champagne, you know, simple question like that. A lot of guests are willing to learn about it, um, especially on the rosé side, because, you know, it's something very new in, um, I would say, in USA, in the development at the moment. Um, and now, you, of course, you're pairing it, right? You're, you're pairing it with do, different meals. Yes, we do. We're doing that, yeah. So what would you say is the most surprising pairing of, of the champagne with, with the meal? Um, I would say it's all depend of your taste and your personality on it. You, I know, but what would you think it is? For me, I will, you know, just enjoy a rosé like that on a patio uh, with some, you know, um, dessert like macarons. We do a main macarons here, so it's a perfect match to get like so a bit of So basically, for, forget, the, forget the appetizer, forget the main course, forget the salad, just go right for the macarons and the, yeah. the rosé, and you don't have to go to dinner. And you don't have to go to dinner. You can, you know, get some... You don't have to leave your room. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's a nice way to do it. I like that. Now, where the, do you make the own, your own macaroons here? We are doing our own macaroons here, yeah. All wow. our pastry, all our food is, you know, based on, a, on the local market. We bought, bought all our product from the farm around the place, around Chicago. So we do a lot of organic products. Uh, we are taking good care of, you know, making sure we have you know, the right quality now you're in your plate, in all the guest plate, and uh, we deliver the best service as well. And I noticed the cheese as well. And the cheese as well, yeah. Any, locally, any local cheese? Obviously, you're close to Wisconsin. <laughs> Certainly on this one, I will not, uh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But you know what? I'm going to stick with the rosé and the macarons. I think that's the way to do it. Where are the wagons? The wagon is too slow. Can't you ride? It's not that he can't ride. How is it you put it home? They're dangerous at both ends and crafty in the middle. Why would I want anything with a mind of its own bobbing about between my legs? We were just talking with, with Patrick Lacassan, who's the F&B manager here, who, of course, got me very excited about uh, rosé champagne and uh, macaroons. So talk about a segue. Matthew Augustine, the pastry chef here. Do you have anything to do with the macaroons? I have a little bit to do with the you macaroons. You have a lot to do with the macaroons. Yeah. All right, I want the truth. How much butter's in there? Zero butter. Well, there's some in the filling. Well, come but on. But the actual macaroon shell itself. You're being too zero. technical. You know there's butter in there. <laughs> Those are low-calorie macaroons. All right, now, in your history of, of, of doing this job, um, you know, people come to expect certain things. They, they you know, I'll give you something that, that gets me crazy, okay? You go to a hotel for, for breakfast in the morning, and they'll think, hey, you have a bagel. Yeah, what kind of bagel do you have? Uh, just bagel, right? They don't, they don't have, like, onion or sesame seed, right? You don't do your own bagels that much yet. I know you don't do the bagels. Correct, do we do not. Right, you, get them, one from, the few, one of the few you get them from a special bagel guy. You Correct. know a guy who yeah. knows a guy who has a bagel. Exactly. Right? But you have different kinds of bagels, I hope, please? We do. Okay. We have all kinds of bagels. Okay, good. That's good. Okay. So we'll put that aside. But you bake a lot of your own stuff. We do. Okay. What's, what's your, like, signature baked good? Signature baked good in the house is definitely um, probably our plain croissant and our chocolate croissant. Okay. We've been doing Back those to the for same a question. long year. Back to the same question, Matthew. How much butter is in that croissant? Zero butter. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, oh, man, you're such a amount. liar. <laughs> a good amount, for sure. But that's why they're so is flaky and Is it buttery and, and flaky? Exactly. There you go. I think yeah. you can put a little extra on top. And you can't just eat one. I exactly. Know. I know. Okay, so you do that, right? Correct. And we also do our own uh, English muffins, which I think doesn't get talked about Whoa. enough. I don't think a lot of people do that, so that's definitely something we do. Do they have nooks brunch. and crannies? They do. Okay. We make them all in-house, and they do a nice uh, Benedict on them, and they're great. 
Uh, great I, by you know what? I did not know of any other buddy, anybody else doing their own English muffins. That's yeah, cool. Yeah, I don't think it's a super popular thing. So we go through quite a lot. So it's a nice little project to do. And your most elaborate dessert? Most elaborate dessert right now on the menu is probably our nectarine dessert. Um, which, which is? Which is it has a hazelnut brown butter financier. Which oh, is we're nice, back to butter. Right. Oh, my God. But it's okay. a brown butter, so it has a nice different uh, of course. note to it. So it's a little warmer for you but it's not it still works well in the summer i don't want it to sound like it's too heavy okay so um, I, I have to ask you the one qu question i've always wanted to ask a pastry chef okay okay everybody makes chocolate chip cookies correct i'm sure you do too correct okay but there's an art to it and the thing is i like a chocolate chip cookie that is a little burned you know it's got it, it, it's so, it's a so little char a little char right. on it and not too thick I, the thinner and the charred the best right right i agree with that Absolutely. You, that's how you make them? I do. Yeah, oh. we don't do them too thick unless they're special requests, and then we can always do that. We have an order. Um, Does somebody actually call you and say, I want a thick chocolate chip cookie? Oh, yeah, we get orders sometimes saying big, I don't trust big, people. big I don't chewy cookies. I don't yeah. trust people who eat the big chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> you have the thin ones that are charred. Right. They have a nice little crisp, but they're still soft on the inside. Exactly. Absolutely. And you go through a lot of those. We do. We do plenty. Plenty of cookies. How many cookies do you do in a day? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, at least a couple dozen. And then obviously, depending on banquets and stuff, then that can... Oh, banquets, that takes people, out. The, people right. love those. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> exactly. And your most challenging dessert. What's the, the one that's the most dessert. difficult to make? Um, right now, let's see. I would probably say we do do our own bonbons and things like that for, like, Mignardie service, so we always try to... Uh, advertise that, but those are probably the most labor-intensive things that we do. You mean the truffle things? Correct. Or, yeah. uh, homemade bonbons that we do our own casting, our right. own fillings, all that. And what's in the fillings? Any alcohol, perhaps? There definitely can be alcohol. We try to <laughs> mix it up seasonally. Um, one of my favorite ones, which we're not doing right now, but will be coming up soon, is a candy cane filling for a, like a white chocolate candy cane one in the winter. I love that one. It's my favorite. And how do you stay from becoming like 500 pounds? Everyone asks me that, but uh, when you're around it so much, you don't tend to be as hungry for it, but you definitely... You know, every time I go into a Dunkin' Donuts store, the guy weighs two pounds. I'm going, wait a minute, <laughs> this, this can't be. Right. At some point, you hit saturation, and then you just have to take a break. All right. So now, where do you like to go eat dessert outside the hotel? Where do I like to go? Well, yeah. I tend to gravitate towards some of my colleagues and people I've worked with, um, or places they've worked before that I know they have good reputations. Uh, Blackbird is one of those places that's fun to go to that you can actually go in just for dessert and it's not too much of an inconvenience for their service. Um, Hot Chocolate has some good stuff. And right now I have a good friend um, at 16 at the Trump was good. Her name was Aya, she was there, and now she's at Maple Nash, but I have to go try her stuff here soon too. Okay, now do you, you do a rice pudding? I do not do a rice pudding. Ah. I have done one before, but... Do you do a rice pudding that you, that you basically torch on the top? Okay. Like a creme brulee. Okay. That's a cool thing to nice. do. Nice. That's a sort of like... They do that in Turkey a lot. Okay. They actually do the rice pudding, and then they, do a, they just torch the top of it so that it's kind of crusty on the Interesting. top. Interesting. Yeah, you like that idea. Yeah, that aren't you glad? Aren't you glad I stopped by? Yeah, exactly. I'm always glad. <laughs> <laughs> what other puddings do you do? What other puddings? Well, we do a chocolate pot de creme. That's a sort of like gluten-free option that we can do. Right. Um, How about butterscotch? We've done it in the past. See, that, that, right would be, that would be cool. Yeah, we do a butterscotch with like a pecan sandy. That was something we've done with a little creme fraiche. Okay, so. So, so basically, I'll be at the health club doing penance <laughs> exactly. for you. Well, remember, none of our stuff has any butter, so. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes Podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news, and culture maker interviews, and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus. 
Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. 